Trinity Church, it is great to see you today, and it's great to see you this weekend. That's some new language for us, and so we're excited whether you're joining us at 5.30 on Saturday uh, on our Facebook page, or if you're joining us at 9, 10.45 a.m. on uh, Sunday morning on our YouTube channel. Thanks for being so flexible. Thanks for being so resilient. We're in an age right now where we're just trying to find the best ways. You saw my video maybe this last Wednesday about, like Paul, we want to reach as many people, all means possible, all people all the time. And that's what we're doing. So thanks again for flexing with us and we're excited that you're joining us. Again, once again, I wanna say thank you for inviting us into your home. We don't think of that in any small way. That's a big deal. And so we're grateful that you're with us. If you're not a part of Trinity Church as of yet, and you've been invited to watch today, or you might have seen this service in somebody's feed, I really want to say welcome to you as well. My name's Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're grateful to dive in today. If you didn't get notes before we began, there's a QR code beneath me. If you want to use that to be able to pull those up on your smartphone or be able to print those off, whatever works best but we want you to, to make those available to you. It just helps you track with us better. If you have accessibility to a Bible, we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter two today. 1 Peter is almost to the very back of your Bible and we'll be in chapter two in just a moment. So we're glad you're joining us. We have been throughout this series, uh, this great series, by the way, which I really love. I love what it's called, uh, this idea of being a people prepared. In that whole idea, we're talking about deploying God's people into life who need the Lord, who are dealing with stresses, who are dealing with anxiety, who are dealing with a great significance of care. And so we are excited today to look at a letter that Peter wrote to early readers, early Christians, like new Christians, in a place that we call today modern Turkey. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But before we do, every week we've had what we call yay God moments. And I want to give a couple of, you, of them to you today. The first one is our ministry staff. You have been as a church so incredibly generous in all areas of giving, especially that of our HELPS Fund. And that fund is used to help people in a myriad of needs. We're seeing some needs both nationally and locally that we have designated some funds. And like we've been saying throughout this season, you don't give to Trinity, you give through Trinity. And so within that, we're excited to be able to let you know today that we designated an amount this week to give to our denomination who has set up a fund specifically in response to COVID-19 and helping churches that are struggling. And so that is us being the big church, like so many other churches are being to us right now. It's a beautiful picture of the church, not just Trinity Church. We're also able to help Redlands Family Services. They have been amazing as they have been uh, procuring resources that are going into the community, primarily food, but even other things like shampoo, toothpaste, and a lot of that is being able to be distributed through our Micah House team and their volunteers to people connected to Micah House. So we're super grateful for that. Great ways of meeting the community. We designated an amount to give to them this week as well. And again, that's where your giving is going beyond the personal stories. It's also going to some organizations, organizations here locally and nationally. Another Yega thing I wanted to tell you about, we had mentioned it before, we are hosting a blood drive on this campus. It's considered an essential service. So for those of you who are even hankering to get back on this campus, uh, there's a great way to do it. It, join the blood drive coming up June 3rd on a Wednesday and June 24th, another Wednesday. And you'll note from one in the afternoon to 7 p.m. at night. And this is how you get signed up. 
is that you go to redcrossblood.org and then when you go to enter in the sponsor code, it would be Trinity Church Redlands. Here's the deal. Man, we're doing this because we wanna be great neighbors. We wanna be meeting needs here locally. I can't think of a more needful thing than people who are struggling with their health and need blood. Let's be a church who gives a great donation. I signed up for my appointment today. I'm ready on June the 3rd, I'll be there. So I'd love for you to join me on one of those two dates and let's give to the Red Cross and be, again, just great neighbors. We're going to talk about this a little bit more today about doing good, and this is a great way to do that. Finally, uh, a thing that we kicked off last week is a segment that I'm doing on Sunday afternoon. So this Sunday, May the 3rd at 3 p.m. That's easy to remember, 5-3 at 3. I'm going to do a Todd and Friends Instagram Live uh, conversation. And my guest this week, my good friend Jack Hamilton, many of you know him, former executive pastor at High Desert Church, who I served under for four 14 years, and we're just going to hear some encouragement from Jack and what he's seen going on again from his vantage point for the Big C Church. So I want you to join me on that. It's going to be great. Well, we're going to dive in today, and as we look at this passage, what we've seen is that Peter's uh, purpose in this letter is he's wanting to not only encourage but to direct and exhort his readers, these new Christians, to be a people who really are not just surviving, but they're thriving. And thriving in the midst of opposition, thriving in the midst of conflict, thriving in the midst of deep challenges they'd never experienced before. Sounds a little bit like what you're going through. And so realize this letter is written to you. Peter began in this letter to speak in the first chapter a lot about that of their hope, looking forward to Christ and how he is what they are anchored to, as well as he talked about the idea that they are to be a people in the midst of all this season, to be that of uh, living out this sense of harmony. That's kind of where the, the chapter kind of moved to at the end of chapter one and into chapter two. And this idea that not only vertically does my relationship with God matter and that I'm anchored to him, but horizontally there's to be a, a harmony that we live as Christian brothers and sisters because of the agape love that we've received from God that we give generously to one another. So that's kind of been the flow of the book. Today, this is what we're going to look at. Two really big themes emerge. The first is that is that we're called to not reciprocate those who might oppose us, but to do good. Those are teachings that Jesus gave. Do good to those who persecute you. Peter's going to talk to his readers about that, and he's also going to talk about under an incredibly oppressive uh, governmental system, a foreign governmental system, he calls them to subject themselves, to submit to the authorities that God has placed over them. Now, I don't know, as we've been talking in this series, we've seen all these parallels and all these timely ideas, but I'm going to tell you, I know that for so many of you, you are struggling submitting to the authorities of our land. Let me rephrase, all of us are struggling in various degrees. These are timely words. They were important in the first century, and we're going to see today they're deeply important in the 21st as well. So here's our now what statement where we're going with this passage today. Because God is absolutely sovereign over every issue you face, that being true, you can entrust yourself to him and demonstrate his goodness to others. That's what we're walking away with today. Number one in your notes, opposition doesn't warrant sinful indulgence. Opposition doesn't warrant sinful indulgence. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at this passage, and actually, it, it doesn't flow really well, but it's got th 
thoughts that kind of emerge a couple verses later. So I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we'll dive into our first one. So let me give you the, the big picture context of everything we're going to look at. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. You've been doing a good job. Read it out loud with me from home. You can do it. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles important language, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves." Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. All right, so that's the whole context of what we're looking at today. Let's go back to the beginning. This is the first part I want us to break down. Chapter 2, verse 11, read it with me. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. What we're going to see today and these big ideas that Peter's bringing up, he starts in a way that I think is actually counterintuitive, meaning these big concepts of what to do when a world opposes you, he actually begins at the interior level. He says, let's first talk about you. Let's first talk about what you're dealing with and struggling with. And I want you to see the language that he uses because it's powerful. He calls them friends, beloved. And he says that as he's giving them in input and in advice, he's doing it from a close proximity. Many of these believers he had never met before, but again, as a fellow follower of Jesus, he has a unique union with them. He reminds them of their otherworldly citizenship that's going to be huge throughout the rest of the book. It's been huge already in chapter one, and it's going to carry so much weight moving forward. We'll even see that double down as we end our time together today. But this is what I want you to see. He, he uses this word, I exhort you, I urge you. That word in the Greek language is the word parakaleo. That's a fascinating word because it's the same word that Jesus used to describe the, the, the awaited Holy Spirit that was going to come and that was going to fill that was going to take his presence in believers and followers of Jesus. So think of that. And what does Jesus say? Wait for the advocate. Wait for the helper. So Peter's saying, I'm for you. I'm a helper. I'm an advocate wanting to help you. And what I'm about to tell you is not meant to be restrictive. Instead, it's meant to be life-giving. And look at what he goes on to say. He writes that he's giving them this good counsel. And what does he start with? Don't abstain, stay away from these types of sinful desires that you would have. Now, typically when you hear that, you'd go, okay, well, that's kind of a negative term, a, a warning, stay away from. But I want you to see this. Look in your notes today. The Greek word translated abstain actually focuses on what is gained as a result of steering clear of something else. This actually isn't a negative idea. It's, it's really a focus on what is gained when you steer clear of something else. Maybe another way to say it, to have something because one is far away from something else. So it's what is gained when I steer clear of what's dangerous, what's to be in this case prohibited. 
It's powerful to think of that because often when we read our Bibles or maybe just the stereotype the Bible has is just a lot of don'ts. Here's a list of what, again, to stay clear of and don't, don't, don't. But what I want you to see about this word, Peter, what they would have understood as they were reading this letter, Peter's saying, I'm urging you, I'm exhorting you to, to stay clear of this thing and gain what's to come when you do. Gain this advantage when you actually will stay away from that. And so he says, in this case, he talks about these sinful desires, these very base, these very natural, these very normal, actually the word fleshly, that's really the, the idea, stay away from these things that would normally come naturally to you apart from Christ, before Christ. Back in chapter one, he's kind of already talked about that again. Those things that were in your past, steer, steer clear from. And, and what's powerful about this language is that to me, it all keeps coming back to how much sense it makes to us when we filter it through the lens of a parent to a child. Think of it this way, those of you who are watching today who have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm about to say. There are things that your children want to do, deeply desire to do, that just seem normal, natural, exciting, pleasurable, that just makes sense. Mom, dad, I want to do that. And you intentionally say, no, no, abstain, but abstain because this is so much better when you don't. For instance, your kids that want to go out walking on a six-foot-high fence to see how gravity works. Your kids who just want to say, today is dessert day, all day long, it's going to be a sugar high. Your kids, especially while being quarantined at home, if all they want to do is be on screens. Now, you hear that and you kind of go, you kind of understand where the draw is. You understand why they would want at least a portion of that, but then to do all of that or to live that dangerously, like standing on the fence, you go, hey, I know why you want that, but if you actually get to do it, it's not in your best interest. It actually brings pain, and, and by staying clear, this is what you gain instead. So for your child who wants to experience gravity, you'd want to remind them you don't want gravity, your face hitting that ground. For your child who wants to eat dessert all day, you tell them, no, we're not going to do that because your body is going to be so much better when you eat food that nourishes you. For your child that would say, mom, dad, I just want to be on my screen all day long, you know it's so much better for them to get out, to go exercise, to soak up great vitamin D, that's for you, Dr. Kavalich, just for you. So within all those things, as we process that, we know better, and here's the reality, if that's true of you as a human parent to your children, how much greater is it that our Heavenly Father knows better, and watch this, wants better for you than you even want for yourself. Again, this quote from C.S. Lewis, I've used it before, speaks to this idea. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong. It's not as though we want too much, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And here's the illustration, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. 
So in that context, when we think of this idea of the things that we're drawn to and Peter's clear language is, man, God has so much better for you, realize that these aren't just ambivalent things. They wage war against your soul. These things want to take away a part of you as you give yourself to them. You, not just you theoretically, but the very essence of who you are keeps getting lost. So Peter takes this really seriously, says it's so important. But I want you to see this. I think that's true in everyday circumstances and and in normal reality. But think of what this means in our season. Take a look at this in your notes. There's something about being under opposition, or in our case, even being under great challenge and duress, that can create within our souls a permission creates within us a permission to act on these fleshly desires as though we're owed something uniquely for the difficulties that we're enduring. I have a sense that what many of us are struggling with in this season is that there's so many challenges, so many new hurdles. I was processing that this week. My week has been nonstop, and I'm going, Lord, I've never been so busy in my life. And in that sense of busyness and meetings and video conferencing and tasks to do, we can get to a point where we go, so I just need to escape, or this is due me because of the challenges. I've just lost my job. I should be able to do something to feel good. I'm just having this craziness with my kids here all the time. I just need to do something. And in that whole mode, Peter knew exactly who he was writing to, to a group of people who were being opposed for their faith. We're not even in anything like that. But in it, Peter said, don't. Don't let this be a season that warrants occasion to give in to those sinful desires because every good parent knows that's actually gonna take you down a bad path that's gonna lead to more destruction, not ease it. So hear these words again, powerful in the first century, powerful in the 21st. Look at the next point in our notes today. The demonstration of God's goodness leads to God's glory. The demonstration, and more specifically, the dem- you demonstrating the goodness of God leads to his glory. Here's the verses we're looking at. Read it with me. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So this is uh, part of the passage, obviously, we began with today. We read earlier. But this is what Peter is saying. In the midst of these challenges, in the midst of the, the things that are happening, our challenges are, are just because we're human and we live in California. The, the readers who originally got this letter in the first century, their challenges were due to the fact, as we'll look in just a second, they were being opposed for following Jesus. And Peter, all he does is he just goes back and he remembers, it might have been just sitting down together around a campfire, it might have been on a hillside, but he's just radiating back what he heard Jesus say firsthand. Do good to those who persecute you. Do good to those who persecute you. The reality is that is so opposite our natural inclination. Take a look at this picture. This really spoke to me this week when I began to consider uh, what our natural MO is. This is what it would be. This is a wiki how of how to defeat or getting back at your enemy. 
<laughs> you can literally go online and you can get a tutorial of how to get even with someone who does something mean to you. A wiki-how of getting back at your enemy. Now, it sounds absurd, and it's sad that, that actually this is way more than just this one picture. I actually went through a lot of this, and as I was looking at it this week, I realized there is literally layer upon layer, when they do this, you do that. When you want to get ahead of them, do this. When you want to get back at them, I mean, it's all laid out. And by the way, I've got some great tips. I, no, I'm not going to do that. But, but here's the point. Someone spent a lot of time developing a helpful how-to to get back at people who oppose you. The interesting thing is maybe what so catches our attention, it's not something we haven't thought of before. It's not something that wouldn't be our natural inclination and that's what Peter is addressing. He's saying, hey, I know your natural impulse is to want to oppose back, but you have to remember who set our example and you have to remember who we're following. This doing good concept that we read about in these verses is what Peter talked about to the family of God as well, this agape love that is demonstrative. It's not just something you feel or can write down, but you show it and it's selfless. You're doing it for the good of someone else. As we love with that kind of love, what begins to happen is, is that we are actually, and this is interesting, the phraseology that you just read in English is exactly what the Greek says, we're do-gooders. That's what we're doing. We're doing good to others. And, and I know that for some of us, we struggle with that because we've kind of, some of us have lived through a social gospel era back in the 60s and 70s. And, and we kind of have this knee-jerk reaction of, I don't just want to do good to do good. Can I tell you a real easy way to solve that? Do good to people who oppose you and tell them the reason that you're doing it is because you love Jesus and that Jesus loves them. You never have to worry about people misinterpreting or, or losing the significance of what you're doing. It is not just because you're a good moral person. It's because God has loved you and he's told you to give that love away to others. You can tell them that and that's never gonna be a worry again. And I want you to see the implications of what comes from this. And oh, even before we do, the, the question we alluded to earlier, why were people opposing Peter's readers? Why were they opposing these Christians who live in modern-day Turkey? And we've talked about this in other teaching series before, but there were generally three reasons why Christians were being persecuted in the first century for following Jesus. Here they are. The first one, they were accused of being atheists. Now, that just makes you pause. When was the last time as a follower of Jesus I was accused of being an atheist? And you have to realize in the context, most cultures in that era believed in the pantheon of gods. And so to be able to say there's, there's one God and there's only one. So that meant if there were a hundred gods that people are giving some sort of credence to, but you're saying, no, all the other 99 are not legitimate, they're non-gods, there's only one that came across as an, as an atheistic comment that you're saying all these other things are not deities. So they were accused of it. They were also accused of being oppositional to the Roman Empire. And the reason why, when the empire was shouting and hailing Caesar as Lord, it was Jesus' followers that said, no, I can't say those words because Jesus is Lord. That was a countercultural statement, and it was stated as such. 
And then the third reason why were those who were profiting off of pagan religion, those who made idols or those who made money off of people involved in sorcery, those were frustrated when the likes of Paul and his and other followers of local churches said that stuff isn't something you should participate in. Those are non-gods that took away their business and created frustration. So those were some of the things that happened. And so there was a, a deep sense of cultural ostracizing that was going on. In that, in that time. And my question is, we've said it before, it's not just that Christians are struggling in this season of quarantine. If you're a human being, literally all around the world, you are having unique challenges you've never had before. But let's say for a minute, maybe there are some times that Christians are being targeted. Maybe it's because the fact that we wanna meet together again in community and there's a real concern about people meeting in large groups again. Or maybe it's the fact that we are calling upon God for the healing of people. That's not just what might happen via medicine, but what we would, we would pray for, that God's supernatural healing. And there might be criticism that comes as a result of that. And so my question to you is, if that's happened to you in this series, in this season, I'm sorry, that we're in, or if you've seen that in maybe social media posts, simple question, how'd you respond? Did you respond defensively and indignant? Or did you take Peter's words at face value, do good to those who persecute you? Do good to those who persecute you. I want you to see the two outcomes that Peter says will happen when we will take that posture. The first is this, is that it will silence the foolish talk of other people. People talk in, in ways that are absolutely nonsensical, that aren't at all what we would say we believe in the Bible. That, that happens all the time. But in that, rather than engaging in the argument, and you know you've done this before, you've kind of began it. It was not a conversation. It was a blow-to-blow -blow argument, and you realize partway through, no good is going to come of this. Simple question, what about the times when you said, this argument is not going to be helpful, but instead, how can I serve you? Instead, how can I do something that demonstrates agape love? And what happens every single time is what Peter wrote, they're silenced. I can argue against words all day, but arguing against that kind of selfless action, it kind of just shuts it down. The other outcome is even greater. Peter writes that as we are doing good to those who might oppose us, they will see an otherworldliness about us, another nature. They will see the character of Christ in us. And as a result, they'll be wooed to him. They'll be drawn to him. And it even says that they will respond. I love that word, that word glorify. We've talked about it before. What does that really mean? It means to recognize the true substance and value. They will recognize when they see Jesus, when he returns, they will recognize his true substance and value. Why? Because they've realized they needed to put their faith in him as well, just like you have. The Greek word here, by the way, for see, they will see your good deeds, is actually only used twice in the entire Bible, both in this letter in 1 Peter. And what it means is it's actually seeing something close up. You, it's not from afar, it's not something that you are simply aware of fourth hand. You're there firsthand and you're, you're engaging it, you're an eyewitness. Within that, the only other time the word is used is a couple chapters later in chapter three, when Peter writes that for believing wives who want to influence their husbands towards Jesus, he says that as they see the purity of your life, as they're up close and personal, it doesn't get any more intimate and personal than in a, in a marriage, 
as they see that in your life, they'll be drawn to Jesus. So it's that close connection. So think of it this way. We talk a lot about your relational world. Here's what we're saying. When the people who are living up close and personal with you, the people in your relational world, when they experience firsthand God's goodness, how? Demonstrated through you. You are being a person of influence and you're influencing them towards responding to Jesus' invitation in the gospel and recognizing who you already know him to be. That's powerful. That kind of do-gooding, if you're even averse to the term, it demonstrates the character of Christ and you're in this, they're close and they're watching, they see and they're responding. And that's so powerful. We talk about the power of influence that God wants to use you in the, the, the relational world you live in. That's what this verse is saying and that's what this point is saying. And that's one of our core values. We talk about it a lot as we laid those out back in January and February. Here's one of our core values. Your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. If you're new to Trinity Church, we have six core values. We think one of the top six things that are important to us you have a calling, and that's to influence your world with Jesus. It's powerful. Number three, today in your notes, God is in control of who's in control. God is in control of who's in control. Look at the last verses in this passage. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. This is, uh, we said it from the very beginning today that this was going to be a point within our experience right now that's really going to get, it's going to hit a nerve. There's no doubt about it. I, I stole this point, God's in control of who's in control, from the series that we did uh, a while back called Inverted. We looked at the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, and that was the big idea that just kept coming week over week with an incredibly oppressive governmental system that was absolutely persecuting followers of Yahweh. And again, this is not where we live. This is not our situation, but watch. It definitely was what the readers of 1 Peter knew, what they were experiencing. So Peter wants them to understand, and you have to realize, even though the opposition that Daniel faced was significant, so was the opposition under Roman rule, the persecution that those first century believers were facing. And the reality is we don't have a clue how hard that is, but Peter's readers did. They were absolutely living it out. So it's in light of that, that Peter reminds them, number one, God is in control of who's in control. And as a result of that, you're called to submit. You're called to subject yourself to the leadership that they're providing. You'll note that this subjection didn't just relate to the highest level, to that of the emperor, but also related to those he had uh, given power to, those that were his governors. And, and what you notice in there is sometimes we struggle even understanding the purpose of things. What's even the purpose of human government? Peter lays it out. We just read it. To punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Civil order is a basic reason why there's human government and why there's always been human government. Do humans get it wrong? I didn't even need to ask the question. We all know it like we get everything wrong, but the reality is that was God's intended purpose. And so what we see here, where they're called, Peter's readers are called to respond in four different ways. It's the very end of our passage today. Number one, they're to show proper respect to everyone. 
I want you to hear this clearly today. The Bible would tell us there's never, watch that, there's never an occasion where we should disrespect another human being. Show proper respect to everyone. Secondly, they're called to love the family of believers. That's that demonstrative agape love again. And it's saying, hey, as brothers and sisters of Christ and the family of God, I'm gonna keep selflessly loving you. Look at the third idea. They're called to fear God, to recognize that not only is God in control, but he actually is the one who is truly to be feared. He's the one who is behind the powers that be. Remember the words that Jesus said, fear him who after your body has been killed has the authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's from Luke chapter 12, verse five. And then lastly, honor the emperor, that's the basic respect that's to be given to someone who simply sits in the chair. Doesn't mean that you agree with their um, decrees, their decisions, their ideologies. There's a basic respect that's to be given. So let's get a little personal. How you doing with this? How you doing with our governor or our emperor, as it were, in our country in the United States? And how are you doing with his governors? How are you doing with those he's appointed to have power? And the reality is I bet most every one of us are struggling in one way or another. And in that struggle, it's one thing to struggle, but in that struggle, has that crossed over into a place where you have been demonstratively um, indignant towards them, demonstrably disrespectful in personal conversations, on social media? Peter has some words to say about that. Now, some of us, by the way, might be feeling pretty good right now, like, nope, I'm on board, this is all good. Simple question, how'd you do with the last president? We kind of all get caught in the net now. And the simple reality is God has said a lot about authority. Not only the authority that he has, but the authority he's given different human organizations, not only the government, but the local church. And so Peter is uh, reaffirming that, and he's saying that's what needs to be important. Look in your notes. Have the directives that have been handed down by both our emperor and his governors developed in you a frustration that has led you to dishonoring them to others around you or on social media? And this is, I just want to put this question in your notes. I want it to be a thing. This is not me making this up. This is not me saying anything. This is the word of God. And it's simply calling you in a time that is much less oppressive to Christians than the audience that first received this, that there is to be a basic respect given to those who lead. It's powerful for us. It's convicting. And man, if you ever think about the idea of how to, does God's word apply to us today? Oh, my word. I want to give you one last thought as we wrap it up today. There are a group of people that I have watched over the course of my walk with the Lord who actually have an incredibly perceptive understanding of this point. It's global workers who live abroad, not from their country of origin. As I interact with them, here's an interesting thing that I notice every single time I talk to them. They understand that the government that they live under, it affects them and that they have authority over them in that place. But here's the thing they're always keen to remember, this is not my home. And that really is true on both fronts. Number one, I, I'm not a citizen in this country. I'm a guest here. So I'm to obey the laws of the land and get under them and, and be obligatory to them. They get that. But then here's the other thing they know. Remember how Peter started the letter today as foreigners and exiles. Man, the more that we keep coming back to the fact of whose you are 
and where your home really is, the more you're able to live appropriately, to live subjectively to the governments that are over us. I've seen that demonstrated well in human people and global workers. And I, I go, God, I wanna have that mentality more and more for myself. Well, here's the reality. Here's what we walk away with for this week, our now what statement. Because God is absolutely sovereign over every issue that you face. What doesn't get fit under that umbrella? You can entrust yourself to him and demonstrate his goodness to others. Let me pray for us today. Father God, we come before you on this weekend, uh, this beginning of May, a brand new month, and we come to you in a posture that has been convicted today, both of maybe the areas we're struggling with, just kind of giving into the flesh. Maybe it's the idea of just being frustrated by those who seem to oppose us or making our life difficult. Maybe it's just the submission to our local and, and national government. Whatever it may be, God, there's a, there's a lot in this passage that applies to the things we're challenged with. But Father, what we wanna say today, we are so grateful that your love for us is not conditioned on how well we're doing on these fronts. Like we used earlier the illustration of a parent to child, as our heavenly father, you simply love your kids. And Father, what we need is strength and grace and perspective. We need the, the, the power, the reliance upon your spirit that indwells us to live a life that honors you. You may be joining us today and you would say this whole family of God and, and being a child of God, I, I don't have that relationship with God. I've never made that decision. And I wanna to say to you with great clarity today, especially in the times that we're in where there is one thing I'm certain of, God is getting your attention. There are circumstances and experiences that you're going through that are ringing the bell that you need help and you need hope. And what you really need where it begins is you need forgiveness. The Bible says that your response to God's invitation of what he's done for you through Jesus, it begins by A, admitting. Admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior. B, believing. Believing that Jesus is the only savior available. And C, choosing. Choosing not to just try harder to be good, to be moral. Instead going, Jesus, I can't be good enough, but you were in your sinless life, your sacrificial death, your supernatural resurrection. So I'm gonna put my hope, my confidence, my choice to trust you in you and not in myself. That's your first step in responding to the gospel, the ABCs. And my encouragement to you today is before you even leave your chair, respond to Jesus, commit yourself to him, choose to put your life in his hands. Father, we love you. Thank you for another week. Help us keep finding ways to do what we said at the end, to do good so others might glorify you, see your value and your worth when you return. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name, amen.